0: Let me just say a couple of things leading up to this. Uh, we're doing tough questions, tougher answers. I'm going to be dealing with several things in the next few weeks where uh, that have become areas of confusion. I, I have noticed, um, living in America my whole life, that um, particularly since I've been in Christ, America experiences, sort of cyclically, um, waves of various deceptions, uh, half-truths, things that um, really run counter to the teaching of the Word of God. And it seems like in the last 20 years or so, there has been a direct orchestrated assault against what we would call foundational issues. Marriage, the home, sexuality, gender, um, foundational stuff, things that up until 20 years or so ago, we, we took them all for granted. We, nobody had to tell us or ask us what we believed about certain things. We, just, we, we all pretty much had the same mind in America. Because America, like it or not, did have a biblical foundation. So there were just certain underpinning morals and truths and beliefs that all Americans held. And then came what I consider to be, again, an orchestrated attack against foundational truths. I always thought of the Psalm that said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? In other words, when the, when the underpinnings, the the foundational truths and values that have, that have underlaid been the foundations of of a nation are, are knocked out from under us, there's really not a whole lot you can do because You're only as strong as your foundation. That's why Paul said, no other foundation can be laid than that which I have already laid in you, Corinthians, and that is Jesus Christ. And so even though some of the founding fathers were not professing Christians, you know, Jefferson, for instance, was a a deist. and, And I've never said they were all Christians, but they all held to biblical principles. Now, I think one of the waves that have been really coming against uh, Americans and has begun to infiltrate the church has been this whole issue on gender um, and homosexuality, uh, lesbianism, same-sex marriage, that whole that whole area of um, sexuality. And it has come on gangbusters. It has come on really strong. And I've noted that, for instance, there's two best-selling books out there. I won't tell you who they are or what they are, or who the authors are, because I, this is going to go all over America, this message. And so I'm not going to bump their book sales. But two best-selling books by authors who are pushing uh, the acceptance of homosexual sin in the church That the church needs to wake up and realize that what we've always thought the Bible said, the Bible didn't really say about that. And um, like I said, they're best-selling books. And these are very uh, sharp, intelligent authors. I've listened to a couple of them be interviewed. Of course, they're wrong, but um, they're very persuasive. And if you don't know your Bible, and you know me, I harp on this all the time. The more you know your Bible, the less chances you're going to be deceived. But if you don't know your Bible, and unfortunately most Christians don't know their Bible, um, then you're really taken by this. We've had, and again, I'm not going to say names, but we've had a couple of best, best, uh, well, well well-known, famous gospel artists come out and say, I'm gay and I feel so good coming out and saying that I'm gay and getting this off of me and now I just feel that I can be myself and they had tens of thousands of followers in the church. Now, when it gets into the church, it needs to be answered and and now you're on my turf because I'm called... To minister the word of God. I'm not called to minister the word of God hatefully or with a mean spirit. Of course, these days, if you disagree with somebody, you're a hater, so what can I do? I'm 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 a loser before I start, but not really. I, I call me a hater all you want. Anybody that knows me knows that I love not only people, I love dogs. Um Truth has never been popular in our world. Just ask the prince of truth, Jesus Christ, what they did with him when he said, truly, truly, I say to you. He taught truth like no one else, and they killed him. And they proceeded to kill all kinds of people that stood with him throughout the centuries, millions of martyrs. So all I'm saying is, I know this isn't going to fly well with some people Um, who are going to catch this on radio or see it online or whatever. But it's okay. It needs to be answered. Because some of you struggle with this. And for me, if I were out there struggling with this, I would want to know God was with me in my battle. I would want to know the truth. And uh, Or how else can you fight? So I want to talk to you tonight about the whole issue of born that way? Are homosexuals born that way? And I'm going to hit this on, from several fronts. We're going to use our brains tonight. I'm not only going to go to the word of God, but I want to look at a couple of things just logically. We're going to use logic. God made us creatures of logic. So first, let me say, let me answer the question here. That's the tough question. Now let me give you a tougher answer. I have never personally had an issue with homosexuality. But I have fought other battles of a moral nature. Namely, lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh. Of course I have fought it. And anybody in here who says, you haven't fought it, you a liar in the house of God. So, but we, we've all fought moral battles. Now, my heart goes out to those who, who... Fiercely battle same sex temptations, from what I 've been told by those who struggle with it, and I've sat down and talked with them at length as they wept in front of me over the intensity of the battle. It can be like all other moral temptations, an almost overwhelming battle. Some of you tonight, you feel almost overwhelmed by sexual moral temptation of one kind or another. So my answer to the question or homosexuals born that way, is twofold. Yes, you were born with a sinful nature. And no, there is no gay gene. Now, I'm going to deal with both those things. I want to give you truth. And I'm so glad this is going to go out across America, because America needs to hear this. First, those battling homosexuality were born... That way they were born that way in this sense. We were all born. All of us with a fallen sinful nature that manifests itself in various ways. One of them being the pull to homosexuality. See, we got to see us the way the Bible sees us. The Bible says when you and I are born, we're born fallen. Now, it doesn't mean we're born, you know, <coughs> with horns coming out of our head and, <coughs> you know, wicked and, you know, all serial killers or anything like that. It says that we're born with a fallen nature that has a propensity towards sin. We sin without having to be taught how to sin. When you're raising kids, you don't have to teach them how to sin. You have to teach them how not to sin. Now first, those battling homosexuality were born that way in that sense. Born with a fallen sinful nature. And they are experiencing the manifestation of that fallen nature... Towards that sin. Likewise. There are people who have a strong. Almost overwhelming pull towards alcohol. I have have sat down with those people. And I have also counseled them. and, And they have wept in my presence. This battle is so terrible for them. It's vicious. It's a battle for their life. I don't have that pull to alcohol. Thankfully. But I've talked to those who do. Others battle a craving for drugs. Still others battle with lust towards the opposite sex. Everybody look at me and say, nothing. (laughs) Others battle cravings towards pornography. In fact, there's not a person in the range of my voice that doesn't battle a natural sinful inclination towards something tonight. All of us have that one thing we struggle with. We've we've got that one thing. Whatever it is, we've got that one thing. And if we could just be rid of that one thing, we'd we'd be flying. But we're dealing with that one thing. So in that sense, yes, some people's fallen natures have a pull towards same-sex attraction. But if you mean that since you naturally experience that particular temptation, it's okay to yield to it because it naturally comes to you, and even justify it and demand that others agree with you, which is what we're experiencing now in our culture, that is where the Bible would draw the line. For example, let me just draw a parallel. A person with lust issues towards the opposite sex is born that way. You're born heterosexual. You're born that way. It's part of your fallen nature. To lust. See, the devil takes a gift from God and perverts it. The devil takes a gift from God and twists it and perverts it and turns into something God never intended. Sex is a gift from God. But it was, it was, it's a special gift. Designed and given only to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage. Any sex outside of marriage is sinful. So, Pat, Jeff, you really believe that? Well, hey, the Bible teaches it clear as a bell. You know, it hit me one day. In the sixties, the sexual revolution was launched. Do you know that when the sexual revolution was launched, there were only two STDs in America? I think they were gonorrhea and syphilis. That's then, and that's in the 60s. I want you to look at what happened in one generation. When we decided to throw off the, the shackles, what we call the shackles of God's word and God's requirement, and puritanical sexual teaching, and, and, and uh, what did that one st- stupid song say? If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. And, and we went off into sexual anarchy. I want you to look now. There's 33 STDs. It took one generation. And killer STDs. AIDS. STDs you're never going to get rid of. Look what happened when we said, oh, all that puritanical Bible teaching on sexual stuff, you know, waiting till you're married and all that. That's so stupid. But look what, look what has been opened up on America when we said, I've got a better idea. That's free. That's not in my notes. But think with me now. A person with lust issues towards the opposite sex is born that way. It's part of their fallen nature to lust. Even Paul admitted to lust. Did you know that the Apostle Paul admitted to a moral struggle? He said in Romans 7, 8, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. Now, if you looked up evil desire in the Greek language, it means lustful urges. That, that, that Paul said, I was beset with lustful urges. Paul battled lust and points his finger at the sin dwelling within him as the culprit. He said, "He said it produces all kinds of evil desires. So all moral struggles, folks, have their root in sin. Amen. Yeah. Can you imagine a world where there was no lust? Adam and Eve lived in that world before they fell. There was no lust. Now, Paul vividly describes the vicious nature of a moral struggle. He gets real transparent with us here. He says, let me tell you what it's like when you're in a a moral battle. What I want to do, that is not what I practice. But what I hate, that I do. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, if you know your Bible, you know Romans 7 is telling us what battling the flesh is like apart from the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8 introduces to us life under the control of the Holy Spirit. So Romans 7 is telling us what battling sin is like when we're we're up against it in our own strength. Romans 7. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I do. And then he ends up saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to de- deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thank God, Jesus is. And then Romans 8, he starts out, and, and, and Romans 8 is all about walking in the Spirit. And I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But now I've got a question. Listen to this question. What if the church started teaching? What if I stood up here and started teaching? That based on the fact that many of our church members experience strong temptation to commit fornication or adultery with the opposite sex. Because after all, they're born that way. That it's okay with God to act on it. Because that's what we're being told by the so-called Christian homosexual community. Since I'm born this way then it's okay for me to act on it because I'm born this way. I can't help it. I'm born this way. Well, hey, so are we. Amen. You're not in some unique battle. We're all battling the flesh. Yeah. So you're saying that, that that we should amen your lifestyle. Well, then, if we can amen yours, we can also say the same thing about us. Well, if I want to go fornicate, I can go fornicate because I'm born this way. I think the opposite sex is attractive. Can't help myself. I'm just. I, I'm drawing a parallel. Because. It's almost like. We have been communicated. Uh, the message has been. Um, I'm unique. In this battle against homosexuality. And, and because I'm in a unique battle. And I was born this way. Then you need to amen my lifestyle. And don't judge me anymore. And, and sanction it. And. Don't say to me, don't tell me that it's sin because I'm born this way. It's not sin. Well, we're born this way. And it is sin. Are you with me? Are you following me? See, we're all born with various sinful weaknesses, all of us. And we could easily argue regarding those weaknesses that we have no choice. We must do it. It's natural to us. I was born this way. That's only half true. It's natural to our fallen natures, but that doesn't mean we should therefore practice what God forbids. Here's another question. What makes the homosexuality issue any different from the various moral battles others deal with, seeing that we are all born with a fallen nature that wants to break God-given sexual boundaries? There is no difference. There's all kinds of different Sexual sins. In the Bible, God says to all Christians. Here's what God says to all Christians who are fighting a moral battle. Whether their moral battle is against fornication. Sex before marriage. Adultery. Sex outside of marriage. Homosexuality. Adult uh, incest. And I can name other sexual sins. I don't even want to name them. Any other sexual impulse that naturally comes to them from their sinful nature. What does God say to all of us that struggle with moral temptations? He says in Romans thirteen fourteen, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. Everybody say no provision. You know what that means in the Greek? No provision. Make no pre- provision for, this is the Amplified Bible that I pulled this from, make no provision for nor even think about gratifying the flesh in regard to its improper desires. Don't make a provision for it. Again, the Bible says, listen to this. What is the Bible's answer to sexual temptation? Colossians 3, 5. So put to death whatever in your nature belongs to the earth, Now, he's going to name five things. Four of the five are sexual. Sexual immorality, impurity, shameful passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. What are we to do with those urges, those those temptations that come upon us? We are to put them to death. Now, let me tell you what that means. That little phrase, put to death, means to deprive of power, to destroy the strength of... Or render the evil desire lurking in the members of the body inoperative. I'm only talking about evil desires because the body has desires that are not evil at all. I'm talking about evil desires. He says, he says, deprive them of power, destroy their strength, render that evil desire inoperative. How do you do it? Well, let me first say, Never does the New Testament teach us to indulge in or justify what the Bible clearly forbids. Not fornication, not adultery, not homosexuality, or any other sexual sin. We're, the Bible never says, go for it because you're born this way. Well, I'm just getting real, real, real tonight. <laughs> I'm sitting here saying to myself, "Boy Jeff, you You're really getting real tonight. We are instead to quench the power of wrong desires by walking in the spirit. Here's the key. Remember what I said about Romans 7? It it is fighting the flesh in your own strength. Romans 8, we're introduced to the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, everybody say "By by the spirit. You put to death. There's that phrase again. You destroy the strength of, render the evil desire lurking in the members inoperative you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Not by your own strength, but by the power of the Spirit of God living in you. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That's why I say, how in the world can you get into the Bible and pray once a week, come to church on Sunday, and expect to win this battle? you got to get into the word every day. got to pray every day. Because you need to walk in the spirit every day. And if you don't walk in the spirit every day, you're going to walk in some other spirit every day. So, let me read it again. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the spirit, by the spirit. Can we just say that again? By the spirit. You put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live. So, The first thing I want to say is those who say, well, because I'm born this way, you need to not judge me. And I I don't sit around. Listen, I I, I got enough to take care of taking care of Jeff. But when when deception starts getting into the church and we start getting confused about this, I have got to stand up and teach what the Bible says about it. And, And the Bible says that. Even if that is your propensity, if that's the thing that your fallen nature is drawn to, it nowhere does the Bible says, say, just go, then go for it. It nowhere. It says put it to death. Yeah, yeah. Just like people tempted to fornication need to put it to death or adultery, put it to death or any other thing, put it to death. Quench it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say amen. And, and, and is it a fierce battle it's ferocious we're We're in a pornographic culture. We are in a culture that is so massively confused about sexuality. I never thought that I would see this day. I would never have believed it if you had pulled me out of the sixties or seventies and said and showed me ahead of time just three decades. I would never have believed you. We're so confused, so confused we're even letting little children say, "Mommy, I know I'm born with." male genitalia, but I think I'm a girl, mommy. Well, sweetie, who am I to tell you that you're not a girl? You just start wearing a dress and, you just, and we'll call you a girl and we'll treat you like a girl. Because after all, who are we to suppress who you think you are? And for me, that's child abuse. I mean, really, we're going to let a 5-year-old, 6-year-old, 7-year-old tell us that they don't believe they have, they they are the gender they were born with? Come on, folks. We are, I think of the words of Isaiah, the whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. What has happened to us? I'll tell you what's happened to us. We put the word of God aside. We walked away from it. We put it out of our schools. We put prayer out of our schools. We kicked it out of the public square. We kicked it out of the public arena. We kicked it out of politics. We kicked it out of everywhere. We're even trying to kick Christ out of Christmas. And, and what do you think is going to rush in? Confusion, deception, bondage, craziness. Now something else the defenders of homosexuality claim. I'm doing okay. Are y'all with me? All right. Man, when this goes on radio, I'm going to hide somewhere. (laughs) Now, something else the defenders of homosexuality claim. And and by the way, um, I have had dear friends who were homosexual or lesbian. Matter of fact, at one of the lowest points in my life, when very few people stuck with me, One of the ones that stuck with me was a lady who had always been a lesbian, who had never, ever even been out with a man. But she stuck with me and loved me and prayed for me and supported me. And I'll never forget that. I am not attacking a person. I'm not attacking people. I'm attacking a belief system. I'm attacking what I feel is is a really uh, dangerous deception that is banging on the door of the church and has already infiltrated the church in many, many areas. Whole denominations have split and divided over this issue. Something else the defenders of homosexuality claim is a sense it's inborn. They have no choice but to obey it. That their sexual urges spring from genetics. Therefore, they cannot be and should not be denied. Okay, first of all, a gay gene has never been discovered. Though they have searched for it desperately. It has never been discovered. You you go, just Google it. There has never been a gay gene discovered. Never. It's never been discovered. Secondly, if you think it through, follow with me. It's time to kick logic in now. If you think it through, a genetic cause for homosexuality, a genetic cause, is not scientifically possible. You know why? Because a homosexuality gene, if it existed, would quickly die out. Right? I mean, come on. Let's just step into the mind of an evolutionist for a minute. Under evolution, if a person is actually born homosexual, there would have have to have been a point in time, somewhere on earth, when that genetic mutation first occurred in one particular individual human, one human, somewhere in the... Now, I'm pretending evolution here. But in the evolutionary mindset... You know, things are evolving and humans are evolving and from apes and from a single-celled organism that craw- crawled out of some primordial soup, you know, millions of years ago. But, but let's just go there for a minute. Uh, there would have had to have been a, a point in time, somewhere on the earth, when that genetic mutation first occurred in one particular individual evolving human. Where, let's say a man. A man grew up and said, you know, I'm not interested in in women at all. I, I'm drawn only to men. This would have occurred at a time when everybody else on earth had the normal heterosexual plan in their DNA. But here's this one person. Now, he, he has experienced the first gay gene. I'm putting that in quotes. Here's this one individual with a genetic mutation causing them to desire the same sex instead of the opposite sex. If there were, if there ever were a gay gene, since they have no desire for the opposite sex, how then is the gay gene reproduced to carry on down through history since the one carrying the first gay gene would never have sired a child because he ain't interested in a woman? How? I'm just saying, how this is pure logic. I, I'm going into the minds of the evolutionists with them. I'm going fi- to go with them here. You believe in evolution, and, and the gay gene evolved like all the other, like heterosexual genetics. Okay, how was it propagated down through time? That gay gene is doomed, because you've got to reproduce to carry the legacy on down. The extinction of a homosexuality gene would occur in one generation. I mean, I'm just pulling it out of Bible talk and Bible speak. And I'm pulling this out of a religious setting just for a moment. And and I'm looking at this with pure logic. And I'm going with you with, with evolution just to show you this couldn't have been. The Bible teaches that homosexuality is a choice. Now, I know this is a landmine. I, I, I know that there are people. This woman who stood with me in my trouble told me she could not remember a time she was attracted to the opposite sex. I said, were you ever abused? She said, I was never abused. I said, so there was, there's no door you can remember ever being open. She said, I, I can't remember. Okay. Do I take her example and say, let her be true and God's word a liar? No. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Yes. Now, what does the Bible say about it? It says it's a choice. L- let, me, let me. I want you to listen closely to Romans 1, the quintessential chapter on this issue. Romans 1, listen to what it says. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. What kind of passions? Vile. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Now I want you to uh, notice a word. He says, for their women exchanged. The word exchanged here destroys the no-choice argument. Because exchanging one thing for another involves a choice. If I say to you, hey, I'll give you a $10 bill for a $100 bill. You want to do a little exchange? You would exchange with me real quick. But see, you have to decide. I have to decide I want to exchange one thing for another. And you have to decide to also exchange it with me. And that involves a choice. I can either exchange it or not. It's a choice. The Bible doesn't waste a word, folks. It is God-inspired. Every word is God-breathed. It doesn't waste a word. And so the word exchange clearly communicates that the Holy Ghost is telling us it's a choice. I choose to exchange. The women chose to exchange the natural sexual use of their bodies for what the Bible says is against nature. And likewise, the men did the same. Second, look Paul describes homosexuality as men burning with passion for one another. That requires mutual choice. They chose to lust for one another. So in short, those battling the temptation of homosexuality are in the same boat As those battling fornication, adultery, incest, or any other moral sin. It's a choice. Now, I'm going to tell you, once you open the door, it's a whole lot harder to shut it. I'll go with you there. Once you open the door, not just homosexuality, fornication, adultery, anything. Once you open that door, it is ten times harder to shut it. Forms of sexual sin and battling that temptation must be quenched by the power of God's spirit. Homosexuals are not in some exceptional category or class where the battle is any worse than it is for anybody else battling a moral sin. That would be very natural for them to succumb to. If I were to ask any of you, uh, you know, I can remember when I was late teens, early 20s. uh, Your your hormones are raging. You're tempted Squared to the hundredth power to sexual sin. And the only way you can win is quench it by the power of God's Spirit. It's a battle for everybody. And I'm just, I'm just suggesting and submitting to you tonight that the homosexual battle is no more ferocious than anyone else's. Now, yet another argument used by those seeking to justify the practice of homosexuality is that only the Old Testament condemns it. You've heard that one, I'm sure. Yeah. They typically claim this when someone quotes Leviticus 18.22. And here's what it says. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. Now, homosexuality's defenders and these two books that I mentioned to you uh, really harp on this one. Homosexuality's defenders immediately pull out other levitical prohibitions like you shouldn't eat shellfish. Did you know that's in the Old Testament? Let me I'm just going to read it to you. If we still did this, Papadoz is out of business. But look what it says as to this is God telling his people back then as to fish you may eat whatever has fins and scales. Whatever taken uh, whether taken from rivers or from the sea but all other water creatures are strictly forbidden to you. Wow, that takes out catfish. That breaks my heart. But it gets even worse. He says, "He said all other water creatures." Then he says, "Verse eleven: You mustn't eat their meat or even touch their dead bodies." I'll repeat it again: Any water creature that doesn't have fins or scales is forbidden to you. That means catfish, lobster, crawdads. All right, come on, come on, pr- play your violin. That means all those things. So they, they, they go to this. And they say, see, Leviticus and other Old Testament verses condemning homosexuality are ancient history from a backward, unenlightened, antiquated civilization. Everyone eats shellfish. Those old rules no longer apply clearly. And that's their argument. I want to give you right now a golden rule of Bible interpretation because it answers this very easily. Here's the golden rule. Always remember this. I'm teaching you a little, a little, uh, a little truth uh, in apologetics. Apologetics is the defense of the faith or hermeneutics, the, the, how to interpret the Bible. Listen carefully. If the New Testament repeats an Old Testament prohibition, it still applies to New Testament times. Amen. It's that simple. Let me say it again. If the New Testament repeats an Old Testament prohibition, it still applies in New Testament times. Now, let me give you an example. Paul the Apostle settled once and for all the prohibition against eating certain things. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, and that's not the only place. He also did it in Colossians. But let me read this to you. 1 Timothy 4, 1. Paul's talking about the last days. He said, people are going to come along who will say it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who are blessing their catfish meal. I'm sorry, I just had to go there. Because you, you let me go to babes, I'm getting that fried catfish. And I'm going to bless it and it's going to be anointed and it's appointed for me. But now watch now. God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know what? The truth. Since everything, everybody say everything. Amen. Everything God created is good. Now that is not telling you to go smoke pot. That is not telling you that because it's out there, you're supposed to consume it. He, you got to take this in context. He's talking about foods that had been Forbidden. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it but receive crawdads and lobster and catfish with thanks. Verse 5, for we know it is made acceptable by the word of God in prayer. So right there, moved on by the spirit of God, Paul removes the Old Testament prohibition against eating certain foods and he sanctions the practice in New Testament times. Right there. So what the Old Testament forbade for whatever reason, it was health reasons for the people back then. They didn't have the cooking utensils and the environment we do now. So for various reasons, God forbade certain things. But now, it's not true anymore in the New Testament. So we know that those old rules about what to eat and not eat are not for us now. But nowhere in the entire New Testament are we ever told. That homosexuality or any other moral sin identified in the Old Testament is okay. The New Testament repeats the Old Testament, in fact, over and over again on this topic. In Matthew 19, verses 1 through 8, Jesus indirectly addresses homosexuality. There's no question about it. He does it indirectly, but it's there. When asked about marriage, he quotes Genesis 1-27, where Moses clearly sets in stone God's intent for the two genders. Follow me. So God created, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Everybody say the next three words. Male and female. He created them. Jesus quoted this. Then. What purpose? For what purpose did God create the genders? In Genesis 2.24, Moses gives the answer. He says, this explains why a man, the Hebrew Ish, leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, Isha. It's so clear on gender here. Amen. And the two, Ish and Isha, are united into one. And that's why Jesus said God made the two genders. That the two different genders would come together in marriage and become one. It couldn't be more clear. You got Moses in the Old Testament, Jesus validating it and repeating it in the New Testament. Solidifying and cement the whole issue. I'm just reading the Bible to you. All I'm doing is if you have a problem with this, don't have it with me. Have it with the Bible. Talk to God about it. This couldn't be more clear. We've already read passages from Romans 1, 18 to 32, where for the very first time, there's a specific mention of female homosexuality, and we discover that that too is condemned and brought on by a sinful nature. Look what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, now here he goes with sexual sin again, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor I adulterers, nor what? Well, two of you said it. What does it say? Oh, it's not up there. Why isn't it up there? How long has it not been up there? Okay, I didn't know. I'm sitting there thinking you guys are following right along. All right, well, let me just read it for you. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this. Such were some of you. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Now, you know that people, uh, laws have been passed, it's out there now that if you're a counselor, a professional counselor, a licensed counselor, and you decide to counsel somebody to help them come out of the homosexual lifestyle into a heterosexual lifestyle, you can lose your license and even be arrested. Because the insistence of the homosexual community and those that defend it is that you cannot change. You can't change. Why? Because you're born that way. This is why I've got to answer this. Because you're not born that way. You're born with a sinful nature, so are all of us. But there's no gay gene. You're not born that way. You are not doomed to that lifestyle. He said such were homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, fornicators. I mean, I could read that list. We're all in here. But you, that's what you were. That's what you were, but that's not what you are now because Jesus set you free. So. So, again, let God be true and every man a liar. If we're being told you cannot, you cannot ever change, that has to be a lie. Because right here, the Bible gives us examples of ex-homosexuals in the church who were delivered and set free and made whole. Amen. Yeah. It's right there. They are listed along with other ex-sinners who have been changed by the power of Christ, giving all who fight this particular battle. For me, it would be great hope. Not just homosexuality, but fornication, adultery. It's telling us that you don't have to live in sexual sin. Paul mentioned the sin of homosexuality to Timothy. I'm just showing you some examples. First Timothy 1, nine. for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It's for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral. That's the, uh, the fornicators. Or who practice homosexuality. Or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts wholesome teaching. He's telling us that Sexual sin contradicts wholesome teaching. Amen. So homosexuality, as seen through the eyes of Scripture, is a spiritual sexual aberration. A result of the fallen nature of man, a disease of the soul, as is all sexual sin. It produces nothing life-giving, and so it is with all forms of sexual sin. It all uh, damages kills, separate you from God. Um, man, I could go on. I know I've given you a lot tonight. I know this has been strong. I told you it was going to be strong. And I'm just getting warmed up for next week. Um, I know it's hard to hear. Because some of you are, are really in a battle with this. And it's almost overwhelming. And there's been failures. And it's very hard for you. To get back up and say, well, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. Can I give you uh, a comforting word here? God says to you, try again. Try again. Try again. Uh, because if he asks you and I to forgive one another 490 times in one day, then he can surely do it. And I've never needed to be forgiven 490 times in one day. I've come close a few times, but not 490 times in one day. But if, if if we can do that with each other, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And with every, listen, with every failure, the good thing about a failure is this. There is a message in the failure. There's something to learn. There's a reason you failed. And so say, God, all right, I failed, but I don't want to stop there. Show me where I failed, how I failed. At what point did I fail? What could I have done differently? And, and, and then say, now forgive me and, and help me Lord to give it another shot. And even if it takes hundreds of times, never, ever make a truce with the flesh. Keep on trying. Keep on trying. You no, know, if you got to call somebody and say, man, I'm my own, I just keep Standing and falling and standing and falling and standing and falling. And I, and I don't know what's wrong. Uh, please pray with me. Get a, get a prayer partner. Get an accountability partner. Um, don't fight it alone. But let me promise you something. One day you will stand. For it says in the Bible, he is able to make you stand. He's able. Now I'm going to close this tough question tougher answer time with some words of hope and i just want to read out of romans six let's stand and, and is it up there now where i can lead them through this verse all right hallelujah i want us to it's, it's a little bit lengthy but it's so full of power let's read this together because this these are words of hope are you ready read with me he died once but now lives he died to break the power of sin And the life he now lives is for God. You must do the same thing. Think of yourselves as dead to the power of sin. But now you have new life because of Jesus Christ our Lord. You are living this new life for God. So do not let sin have power over your body here on earth. You must not obey the body and let it do what it wants to do. Do not give any part of your body for sinful use. Instead, give yourself to God as a living person who has been raised from the dead. Give every part of your body to God to do what is right. Let's do that right now. Father, we just come to you lifting holy hands to God. Lift your hands to him. Because we need help with this. This is a battle. We're in a wicked culture. It is giving us a a totally different message. We need God. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the power of his word. But he can make us stand. Now, Lord, we come to you. We thank you for your truth. And the truth sets us free. Now pray with me and say, Lord, I give you my body. An acceptable sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God which is my reasonable service. And Lord, I choose to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And say with me, I'm free in Jesus. Free in Jesus. I'm free in Jesus. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight.